So many books, so little time, and frankly, so little interest. This is Bibliovile, a time when a man and his wife, a woman and her husband, check out library books for the other person to read, and try to find the worst book they can. In this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read The Presidents and UFOs, A Secret History from FDR to Obama by Larry Holcomb, and I read No Christmas Like the Present by Sierra Donovan. Herzlich und willkommen to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. Uh, you heard from the titles that this is a, a podcast wherein my wife, as Borat would say, my wife and I exchange the worst library book that we can find, uh, give it to each other, make the other read it, and then listen to each other describe it. I have not asked her one little bit about what this book entails, but... I'm hoping uh, lots of awkward doing it because that's what she usually imposes on me. I'm going to be honest, this is our last night in the apartment slash recording studio that we have set up, read walk-in closet, uh, and we are trying to get away with moving as little as we can, and we are starting with the drinks cabinet. Uh, so we thought, why not finish off all of our like quarter-filled bottles? So this one might be a sloppy uh, uh, affair, as you can tell from Susan's hiccuping. <laughs> um, yeah, so weird habit about Mrs. Dickin Dickinson. <laughs> whenever I drink anything, I get the hiccups. And whenever I eat anything, I get the hiccups. Or brush your teeth with anything. Or whenever I brush my teeth, I get the hiccups. Or whenever I'm trying to fall asleep, I get the hiccups. She is a cartoon So I have the hiccups. So... Sorry about it, Charles and Matt. I have the hiccups. Yeah, sorry to all of like all of our other listeners that aren't Charles, Matt, both of the others of you. Uh, but I haven't heard confirmation of your existence. So much like my uh, book, I'm gonna take your existence uh, for granted without actually any evidence <clears throat> because my book is "The Presidents and UFOs: A Secret History from FDR to Obama" by Larry Conspiracy Dad Holcomb. And I read No Christmas Like the Present by Sierra Donovan, which Mick tried to duplicate the Christmas Christmas sex book that I gave him a few episodes ago, but didn't really it didn't really work as well as it did for me because I'm the best, much like Mario. Wario. Wario. No, Mario says Toad. Toad says I'm the best. Yeah, yes. it's Toad that's Wario the best. is gonna win. I'm gonna win. No, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna win. I'm gonna win. <laughs> I'm the best. I'm the best. Anyway. That was my impression at Yoshi. It didn't go so well. Um, anyway, uh, we have just gotten back from our honeymoon to Germany whoop, whoop, and whoop, whoop, Austria, whoop. which explains why I attempted German uh, at the intro and also for the last, like, eight days Attempted German would be a good way to I put it. I thought you did a great job. Yeah, well, you're not, you don't understand German, so that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> um, you know, I succeeded in ordering things, and then they went, okay, I'll get you the English menu, so that's good. Um, I bet with six more weeks of being in Germany, I would become good at German. Not fluent in it, but like, <laughs> there, we each have our own little. Gross. 
Oh, it's still burp on the microphone. Okay, well, fine. Uh, with six more weeks, I would become like, oh, we'll get you the real menu type thing. I think my favorite thing about Mick trying to speak German, speaking, Mick speaking German while trying on Trying to speak German. Was that, like, some of the times he would do really well. And so I think on, like, one end of the spectrum, there was the time that he asked someone to take our picture and he spoke it so well that they assumed that he was German, and so they just started rattling off a bunch of other things, and he was like, eh? And then on the other end of the spectrum, there there was the time that he said something in German, and the waitress looked at him with this look that was just like, oh, that's cute. No, the other <laughs> end of the spectrum was the time somebody asked me if it was my first time in Germany, and I said, a little bit, because I had assumed that they asked me if I spoke German instead. So... Uh, I got to wave my face and be like, oops, I'm sorry. Estut me lied on that one. Uh, but there were a couple phrases that someone responded to me in German to, so that's good. Guten Morgen, Responded me in German to, I think you need to work a little bit on your English. Well, I've been in Germany for the last eight days, so you I don't. would know. Uh, like I said, we are also moving tomorrow because, uh, life goes on. We, I think we really tried to have our, like, most life events month possible we got married we went on a honeymoon we're moving you got a new job within mm-hmm. a month it, it's a whole thing so uh in our wedding which was pretty fun mm-hmm. uh we, i that that's about it we got a couple gifts which is the most awkward part of the wedding was being given presents and then being stared at while you're getting presents but one of those presents does relate to this podcast a, a loyal listener we'll call him c barden no wait wait wait, wait. that's too obvious We'll call him Charles B. Uh, real decided to give us a trash can for which we had registered for, mm-hmm. which was very nice of him. He did not need to do that. Uh, and inside of this trash can, very very aptly, was Susan's favorite book, Obama's America, which is exactly where so funny. Which is exactly where Obama's America deserves to be, right? Uh, so or anything that Dinesh D'Souza has ever written has ever written, including his plea deal with the United States for his fraud charges, but. Uh, very wisely because i was a little bit mad at whatever pseudonym i had given him uh that he had given money to dinesh d'souza there was a return slip to target uh and i went to go return it today weeks after our actual wedding to get some uh sweet cash to buy some pokemon cards for myself that target informed me oh we don't accept this return uh i'm guessing because it's a book so bad not even target wants it back so <laughs> um you better be ready to receive that next time you deserve a gift uh and since your birthday was like two months ago that's gonna be a while uh instead of being able to return that book i had to read my current book which was presidents and ufos secret history from fdr to obama so sue fill me in on what your thought process was picking me this book i want to apologize to everyone in advance for the number of hiccups that are going to happen while I'm explaining this, but one day, it was like a Saturday morning, I wasn't doing anything, I'm pretty sure I was hungover, and I was just like derping around the apartment, and I went down a rabbit hole of conspiracy theory articles on the internet, mostly on Cracked.com, and... I read all of these things about conspiracy theories, and some of them were, like, just absolutely ridiculous conspiracy theories that no one should ever believe. And then some of them were the kind that were like, hmm, (laughs) it makes you think a little bit. 
Yeah. Almost. Yeah, I've got a piece just, on that. Just, just almost, right? Mm-hmm. Right on the edge of making you think a little bit. And so I thought that that would make a pretty cool episode or a pretty cool book for you to read for this podcast would be a book about conspiracy theories. Unfortunately, most conspiracy theories are so insane that a reputable institution like the Ames Public Library doesn't <laughs> carry books on them. It is a it is a cornerstone of, of decency. Yes, it is. It is <laughs> a library of integrity, and so it does not carry trashy books about conspiracy theories. Or it just, how Obama is a foreigner. It just carries trashy books about other subjects. <laughs> but I did find there is a small section in the library on conspiracy theories and I read through all the titles and a lot of them, like probably like 80% of them were debunking conspiracy theories, which is not nearly Ooh. as fun. So I wanted to find one that was actually like, oh my god, check this out, this is totally real! And so I looked and looked and looked and i finally found the presidents and ufos a secret history from fdr to obama and i was like well we'll go with that that sounds good so how was it mick tell me tell me and all of our faithful listeners it both of our faithful listeners will be happy to hear that this is on the top of my notes it is dad fiction and the fact that you found this in the non-fiction section right yeah seems perplexing to me um it puts me in a very, very, very precarious spot because as a person, like just mathematically based, uh-oh, she's not happy with the drink she has and she has a lot of it. This is going to be good. Oh man, that is really, really champagne-y champagne. Yeah, champagneful, I believe is the word. Woo! Woo! Anyway. Uh, as a person in my life, just based on math, you know, I believe within like 98% that there are there is intelligent life on other planets with whether inside our galaxy or inside the universe yeah uh, yeah i would agree with that like That's how can like, there not be how can there not be yeah. is what i believe Although, i don't think they're ever going to try to like come find us cuz well it's physics and whatnot. whatever yeah um wouldn't it be funny if uh earth was just the furthest along in the universe you know all of our stories about like oh aliens are so much more advanced than us because they've been around for longer but wouldn't it just be funny if we're number one and we don't know it like we're we're not the youngest planet but we might be the youngest with intelligent life on it mm-hmm. like we don't know wouldn't that be great if we're the and so like along? other planets have stories in their pop culture about like no, they don't us coming to find us? No. Coming to can, find them? Like, they don't even have pop culture yet. Like, every other really? planet has the, like, Neanderthal stage of, well, I suppose that's not human development, because human sapiens is a Neanderthal. <laughs> uh, I pushed the glasses up on my nose that I'm not wearing. Uh, but, even though I believe that aliens exist, aliens do be real... <laughs> Aliens do be real. I almost said... You are going to teach the youth of America. But I almost said, do aliens are real. Uh, Instead, I settled on that sad, sad phrase. Take Uh, take a minute. But... Collect your thoughts. Collect your thoughts. Uh, But this book, even though I agree with its most basic premise, is just... Oh, man, you guys... Uh, turns out that UFO is a conspiracy. We all know that, obviously. But America is the only one hiding it, goes this book. Uh, the president and the executive branch are powerless against the powers of the CIA and the Air Force, because the Air Force is such a powerful thing. Wait, so the 
Air Force is more powerful than the commander-in-chief who controls the Air Force? Well, did you know that a lot of the uh, the top-secret things that have to do with the UFOs are classified need-to-know, which is the most classified, because not even people with top-secret classification can know it unless they need to know. I don't know if you can hear that eye roll that I just gave. <laughs> yeah, I feel gave like me you and not might the book. have been able to. I was rolling my eyes at the book. I don't roll my eyes at you. It's a sign of contempt. We all know that. Yeah. Um, the thing that's about this book is, like I said, it's dad fiction, where there are there are lots of kinds of dads. There's the Tom Clancy dad, and this just kind of brushes the edge of Tom Clancy dadness because there's like government dealings and political leanings and other leanings. Um, but it's so boring to read because it, it's supposedly a history book but like we know it's trying to hook you on are they going to come out with the are they going to admit it it's like no dog we live in 2016 they didn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> we know <laughs> that they didn't admit it yeah so instead of other history books like for example i read what's the last one 1491 mm -hmm. which is a very good book it's apparently problematic in some way or no that's that's Gun, Germs, and Steel. 1491 is a very good book. Uh, and it's not about, is Columbus going to land? Like, yes, we already know. You can't hook us on the mm -hmm. outcome because we know the outcome. So it hooks us on going very, very deep. It, it, it introduces you to things you don't know. It uh, really, like, gives the details on stuff. It dives deep on the subject mm -hmm. in order to entice you. Yeah, makes sense. This book does not, for a, numer uh, a number of reasons... Number one being that if it dove too deep, it would kind of expose itself as being shitty and awful because, like, even though I believe in aliens, lots of the UFO stories are just like, oh, my God, you guys, come yeah. on. Instead of diving deep and exposing all of the crappiness of it, he lists them just one by one by one by one by one by one by one, and it just keeps going, and it's so boring to read. It's someone tossing a ball at a wall, and that wall is the United States government, and that government doesn't give up. But it, it, it tries its best to explain the United States government, uh, but it doesn't dive deep, not only because things go wrong and, like, it wouldn't be good because then they'd have to say, well, it's probably not true, but it also doesn't dive deep because it assumes you already know a lot of stuff. Uh, for example, you know AP style book? Yeah. Yeah. And it, one of the things in the AP style book is that every single time you use an acronym, no matter how commonly used the acronym, it is NATO, mm -hmm. right? Yep. North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It pops up all the time. The EU. They'll always explain mm -hmm. European Union, EU. It does not do that in this book. There are acronyms abounding that I have no idea what it is. The only acronym he explained that, I, that stood out to me was SETI, S-E-T-I. So I suppose it's an initialization because we don't really say SETI. The S-E-T-I, which I know is, uh, I know of it, the one that explains, I already know, is the big satellite dishes that, like, project signals into space and are supposed to read if it reflects off anything, as well as any radio transmissions between extraterrestrial things. So they send out Morse code and English language stuff and universal language stuff, math equations, all that stuff. But he explains this as, silly efforts to investigate. SETI. You burnt! government program he got so he you good he doesn't actually explain what it stands for in real life nope uh did you look it up i did not scientific extraterrestrial 
investigation or something like that. You've got a tablet. You're on it. Uh, so everything else, he's got tons. He doesn't explain CIA, NSA, NRO, which I know CIA and NSA. I know that one, obviously. Yeah. The NRO. National I Research? I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Look it up. To his credit for his, like, just assuming you know some stuff, he does not waste any time. This is in the foreword of the book. What was the one that you didn't know? SETI. S-E-T-I. I knew that one. N-R-O. N-R-O. Did you find SETI? You don't have to... Dog, I gotta teach you how to Google. I'm like a grandma. Ooh, search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Well That's done. what SETI stands for. Uh, fellow and listener... Then... No, I just want to do this. Okay. Listener, this is how she Googled to find this initialization out. Okay? I'm going to give you a three-second... Gap to explain to yourself what you would Google to find out acronyms. Okay, this is what Su- Susan Googled. What does SETI stand for? What else are you supposed to Google? SETI. Just Google the letters S E T I. No. Yes. No. Right yes. Please, Google, bring me the actual word for this S E T. There you go. Okay, so- fine. <laughs> I'm like those old people that are really polite to Google that are like, Thank you, Google. Google, could you please tell me? <laughs> I'm that guy. Yeah. Um, and then the NRO is the National Reconciliation Ordinance. I still don't know what that is. Um, I don't either. Whatever. Uh, whatever. Uh, he jumps out right Ow. in, in the forward, and says, It has also been clear since the 1960s that if... If we are willing to spend the money, fusion rockets can be developed to get us to the stars. You oh, know, is that clear? Has that become clear? <laughs> if we're willing to spend the money, we can jump ahead in physics by I 200 mean, years. If we were willing to spend the money, we could probably do a lot of things. If you just kept throwing money at something, I'm sure you could make it happen. That's true. He also says why aliens haven't uh, made themselves available to us is uh is pretty great and it's kind of subtle and it's jumping into the deep end uh-huh. simply put earthlings with their war related attitudes are clearly a threat to their neighborhood okay you know you got me it makes sense to me that the members of the galactic federation would be very concerned about us taking our brand of friendship read hostility out there the Galactic Federation? The Galactic Federation. So does he think, honest God question, does he think that Star Trek is real? He does not think that Star Trek is real. They do believe that there are 4 to 6 to 12 species that have visited. 4 to 6 to 12. Well, you know, 4 are the usual, but 6 to 12 yeah. have been around. You know, you've got yes. your you've got your like usuals, Absolutely. and then you've got your tourists or whatever. This one is in the introduction uh, that... Very often there are no uh, pieces of evidence for a UFO crash. Why would you say that there are no pieces of evidence for a UFO crash? Because there haven't been any? <laughs> yeah, that would be the normal uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, conclusion. That's what sane people yeah. would respond to that question. <laughs> this is something very, very bad about it. A U.S. Air Force at the time, Army Air Force, because the Air yes. Force did not mm-hmm. become a branch. We all know that. Uh, he told Randall, you don't have to know these people because it doesn't make any sense if you know the people. He told Randall that Vandenberg had ordered that paragraph removed from the report and then said he was rejecting the report because of a lack of physical evidence. Unfortunately, the document has never been found and has thought to have been destroyed. Well, 
Like I said, everything is third-hand accounts. This was told to a person by a person that had almost seen it happen. That is like the majority of the book. So it's very frustrating to read because none, none of the things actually happened. But I should have known that because none of the things actually, like, there's 600 feet of tape. It shows a UFO landing. Oops, suddenly the government doesn't want to show it. Like, duh, dude. There's 600 feet of tape. We would know about that by now. Uh, factually, the best part about a lot of this book is how unintentionally honest it is. Mm -hmm. It does not mean to give across the thing it, it means to. It just kind of does. Uh, a lot of the uh, stories in the book are related by are are rated by believability, which is damning with faint praise if I ever heard it. Like when you're saying this exists, its believability is pretty high. Okay, but <laughs> so if a story exists because its level of believability is high, then thousands upon thousands of fiction books are true because <laughs> they talk about real things. events that could potentially happen like they talk about people that are believable normal everyday things that are happening to them like if, oh. a, if the level of believability is high and that is what makes it true then we're like i mean hey the level of believability for Harry Potter could be pretty high, and well, we're actually living in a universe that Voldemort existed if in. If the Great Gatsby is fiction, then how did he know about the green lights on West Egg? Hmm? Hmm? Exactly. So It had to have been it true. It had to have been true. Uh, in other ways, uh, he writes literally, quote, factual UFO data that could be tied to presence simply doesn't exist. This is within... So then why did he write this book? Exactly. Why am I still reading this book? That was within the first 20 pages. And if I hadn't have quit last week's book, which, <laughs> woof, then I probably would have stopped reading. I do have to side note. So when we were on our way to our honeymoon, Mick was reading this book on the airplane. Trying not to show it to anyone. And it was so satisfying for me as a human being to be like, he's reading this because I made him read this. And wow. it was hysterical sounds like a wife it was so funny yes and every time the the air hostess or uh flight attendant flight attendant i am sorry came around and i would always like put my thumb over the title of it and i really resisted closing the book he was trying really hard to hide it like he would read it um, like he would lay it flat on his little fold-out tray from the seat behind him so that no one could see it and then if he ever like forgot himself and held it up he would hide it again really fast i was surprised the, he didn't like tape a post-it note to the cover the title is the presence and ufos and there's four i assume white men with suit jacket legs uh standing at the top of it it's ridiculous i mean i suppose you can say that you hid the title in the book because you didn't want to reflect poorly on america I not because you didn't want people to think you were weird i hid the title of the book because much like the u.s presence i hide uncomfortable truths Ah, I see. Um, here's something that he wrote at the end of the story that gives a little bit too much of uh, too much away. He writes, "Quote: There are probably some factual elements." <laughs> <laughs> Which there yeah. are probably some nonfiction things in the things I'm writing in like, this book I, that I'm going to try to sell as nonfiction. <laughs> once again, I will give him some credit where. He would write every once in a while, like, 
this this story has some holes in it and its believability is low so i don't personally buy by it but i'm gonna throw it out there and he would like put that qualm in there and to one extent like good for you buddy for putting that qualm in there and not just trying to pass everything off as 100 mm-hmm. percent. he seemed very like high in his own society kind of thing as ufologists as he called them go or he doesn't believe everything. He's still a little bit of a skeptic. He seemed very uh, happy about normal skeptics, but very uh, angry at debunkers, which was funny. The most uh, clear example I can give of this book as a whole is that at one point there is an abridged story from another man's transcript of a video of a daughter reading a letter her mother wrote about a speech her husband spoke aloud. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa, hold up. Hold on, no, indeed, no, 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 no. So there indeed. was a speech. Okay, no, no, no. A letter. I'll, I'll go backwards. I'll okay, go backwards. Okay, okay, okay. So the husband saw it. Connection one. Yes. Right? So hold one up. Yep. Then the mother wrote down what that husband spoke about. Two. Yep. That mother wrote a letter about that speech to a daughter. Three. Yep. The daughter recorded a video. Four. A man watched that video and wrote a transcript. Five. Mm-hmm. Another man read that transcript and abridged the story. Six. That man gave that abridged transcript to our author. Seven. Seven jumps from actual sight wow. to putting it in the book. So we talk about like primary and secondary sources. Do we have like... Septupillary sources? Yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> does that exist? It does now in you apologists. Um, some fun quotes, or a fun quote, this is mm. the most fun quote, was, quote, this was before anyone outside of science knew anything about the possibilities of mental telepathy. Anyone outside of science. I like too. that they talk about science as though it's like, this is a building where people work. <laughs> outside <laughs> of this building, no Capit- one is talking about this. Like, capital science S is, science. Yeah, capital S science. That's <laughs> delightful. Okay, I have a question about this author. Yes. So, did he talk at all about, like, what got him interested in he actually did. ufology? Did he have an experience? Well, he had an experience late in life, which is pretty funny. But okay. uh, he did talk about what got him interested. Yeah. And if I'm remembering the skimming I did during the early chapter, mm-hmm. I would have to say that what got him interested, he was a, he was a boy when the Roswell landing supposedly happened. And there was a rash of... Uh, UFO sightings reported in the newspaper and so he saw those and then he saw on one of the three channels a UFOlogist went on TV to talk about it and the Air Force like browbeated him and he didn't mm-hmm. like that so he sided with the UF guy, UFO okay. guy um, but I want to go back to that during the Cold War just after World War II thing about the sightings of uh, UFOs. I, I wrote about this a little bit in my blog post where it, like 95% of the book yeah, I'll revise that 75% of the book is based on Truman and FDR and Eisenhower so like immediately after World War II kind of height of the Cold War not, no that's a lie height of the Cold War comes later but like the beginnings of the Cold War just coming off of World War II mm-hmm. he seems to be pretty like if they covered it up it's probably because it's for national security people were a little tired of the war it was volatile and so he seems okay with the cover-up at that point. But then the book moves on from Eisenhower. Then you have, let me review, Kennedy. 
and like mm-hmm. a lot of the the Kennedy portion is uh, Kennedy wants to expose it, but people won't let him, and then he dies mysteriously. There's a conspiracy afoot, and you wouldn't believe this, but conspiracy theorists kind of tie in other conspiracies to their theories. I feel like every single conspiracy theory that has ever happened somehow relates back to the assassination of President Kennedy. Oh, sure, and this one does too. Um, because he was asking too many questions about the UFO thing, and they, he doesn't come out and say it, but it seems to be a, a high implication of what I'm going to call, like, the Illuminati, you know, like the the informed minority or yeah. whatever, the decision makers, which, oh my gosh, isn't that a comforting thought? That No. No? No. Like, okay, everything bad happens in the world we know happens, right? Yeah. So everything bad is already happening. Yeah. I would rather believe that there are people deciding that these bad things happen than everyone is just going... What the hell? That's comforting to you? Yeah. I would rather believe that there is a council of people deciding that bad things happen than just, like, random people hurtling through space in chaos. Okay, you would rather believe it, but do, do you actually believe no, it? No, absolutely okay. not. Because, come on. Um, I'm saying. I'd be a little concerned. No. I was worried that this book would confirm me. It did not. Every conspiracy ever is linked with, like, gateway drug-style style Mm -hmm. like you smoke the marijuana of the moon landing or ufos and pretty soon according to psa's you're on the meth of lizard people and 9-11 truthing like it's all linked according to them by the military industrial complex which is actually about ufo oligarchs and not at all about like expensive boeing contracts or anything like that Hmm. anyway to sum it up i hate being seen by this book I probably left, like, eight different heads uh, hanging, threads. Champagne. Good job. You're okay, miss. I'm going to pour half of my cup into yours secretly away from the microphone. Not half, like a portion. A portion. Uh, anyway, uh, to rate this book, I will give it, like, an 8 out of 10 on honesty, okay. which is weird for a conspiracy book. Uh, but obviously, like, a 1 out of 10 on believability. <laughs> Believability. Which is his highest thing. Um, I think we should rank every book on believability. Oh, That's okay. Some... Let's go through. It was the first one I did on this one on the podcast. I think my first one was the Christmas book. Might have been the Christmas book. Which was yeah. the best book I've ever read. <laughs> um, two out of three. All of the all of the stories very low believability because they yeah. all involve strangers meeting and no one involves like ex fiancés. Okay, so what is the least believable book and the most believable book that you have read during our time on the Terrible Book Exchange? The Terrible Book Exchange or the Terrible Book Exchange podcast? Podcast and blog post. Oh, man. The Trump book is the least believable. (laughs) (laughs) And I would have to say the most believable, honestly, is that How to Marry a Duke one. Or the very first one. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it was nice. I liked it. Oh my goodness, I liked it. But I digress. In terms of believability, Sue, uh, where... Sue Dickinson. (laughs) My wife. uh, Where would you put no Christmas like the present? Believability. Not necessarily goodness. Or good naughty. Because Christmas. (laughs) Okay. 
Sorry, I had to give myself a minute to sort out the sentence the that metaphor. you just said. I know, it's pretty, it's pretty advanced. So, as far as believability, if you actually believe in, like, the magic of the story, I would say the believability is about a 4 out of 10. Wow. If That's you, if you do. If you suspend the believe like if you take that part out and you just eliminate all the stuff about him being well we're sent from the supervisors then it's a 10 out of 10 story about a super creepy man so what you're saying is it's less believable if you buy into the fiction yeah so the suspension of disbelief makes you believe less yes <laughs> All right. <laughs> I will, can, can I will I, can explain I, to you in time why I have come to that conclusion. Can I detail to you why I picked this book for you? And it is yes, very short. Because you hate me. No. No, I know. It is a very short reason because you got me a Christmas sex book, and I later found out that there's a whole like theme of Christmas sex books. Like I don't really understand what about being cold makes authors want to write about taking their clothes off because that seems backwards. But I wanted to give to you a little bit of the quote-unquote gift that you have given to me so that every Christmas, that is what might pop into my head for a split second. I wanted that to be your future. Can I spoil things for you a little bit? Okay. Much there like... was no sex in this book. Oh, None. Much like the 1990, oh, 2001 movie Fast and the Furious. That's a terrible spoiler. Yes. Because cars. Because cars. Cause Last cars. time we made sports metaphors, hockey metaphors. This sports time man. we make car metaphors, and I don't get any of it. Anyway, so there's no sex in this book, so wow. sorry to bust your bubble there. They, like, make out a couple times. What a prude. But that's it. Yeah. Duh. So if you take this book and, like, and shove it. actually let it be what the author intended it to be... It's just like a cheerful, very lighthearted book about this woman who is recapturing the joy of Christmas. And she's helped by this like very charming, lovable angel named Fred. And so it's, Fred. it's basically supposed what, to be like just... if It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol were real, right? Wait, let's go back over the names of angels. So you've got like... Well, I suppose Lucifer. He was an angel at one mm -hmm. point. Mistopheles? Is that an angel? I couldn't tell. Andronomicon. You are making things up. Quandalico. Right I'm making things up. And but, Fred. And Fred. I mean, as a man who's technically named Michael, I might have a horse in this race. But. Okay, still. but so the reason that his name is Fred, there's actually a reason behind it. Because the author's dumb and can't think of anything. No, else. it's oh. because apparently in a version of um, a version of a Christmas Carol, in a movie version of it, there's a very attractive actor, and the character that he plays, the name that they gave to the Angel of Christmas Present in that version is Fred. Wait, the, the actor in uh, 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 A Wonderful Life? No, 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 not a wonderful life, a Christmas Carol. Oh, a Christmas Carol. Okay. And it's like the the character, not the actor. Yes, yes, yes. 
Okay, so I was thinking Wonderful Life because the, the guy who plays the angel in A Wonderful Life is very not attractive. No, no, no. So, in the movie, the main, or in the book, I'm sorry, in No Christmas Like the Present by Sierra Donovan, our main character, whose name is Lindsay, she is mm. um, trying to get into the Christmas spirit. She's watching a version of A Christmas Carol, and it's her favorite version of A Christmas Carol. And in the this version, the, the ghost of Christmas present is called Fred, and he's a very attractive Englishman. And so she's watching, and she's fretting about the Christmas cards fretting. that she hasn't... Haha. Fretting about the Christmas cards that she hasn't written yet, and, like, wondering why she can't really get into the spirit of Christmas anymore. And right as she's wondering this, her doorbell rings. And... She opens the door, and the person on her doorstep is Fred from the movie. It's the same person that she's just been watching on TV. I have looked up A Christmas Carol Fred because I know how to Google. And are any of these guys... I think you should have asked Google, excuse me, Google. That one is literally Mr. Bean. No, No, I think he's terrifying. No, that's Rowan Atkinson, I'm pretty sure. Mm, He's terrifying. Well, then there's a... Fred Hollowell, yes, that's the name. Yeah. <laughs> They're all bad. This one is the most attractive, but he's not attractive. Barry? He just is okay. the most attractive of them. Okay, since looking at pictures is great audio, look up the name Barry Mackay, M-A-C, capital K-A-Y. He plays Nephew Fred. He's the most attractive of the Freds, but is still not that attractive. He's but got apparently, a big... that is what our Fred looks he's like. He's got like a big... Dracula collar. Well, it's England. Yeah, Dracula's yeah. abound in England. Apparently. Dracula. So back to the book. Sorry. Um. So she answers her door. Ding, ding, dong. Doorbell's ringing. It's Christmas time ish. <laughs> and this is a great Paul McCartney Christmas Carol. Ding, ding, dong. Doorbell's ringing. It's Christmas time ish. I'm a genius. And so she opens the door and there's Fred. So she's just been watching this movie and there is a character from the movie that she's just been watching right there on her doorstep. And so she does what any sane woman would do and she slams the door in his face. Okay, good. I was really worried about what you were going to say. And... Does she go, bah? Like, bah! No, she's just like... Her eyes open wide, and she looks at him with a scared facial expression, and she slams the door in his face. Oh, go, sister. Right? Because yeah. if, like, I don't know, you live alone, a stranger shows up on your doorstep, who happens to be an exact replica of someone that you have just been watching on TV, I feel like the safe bet is just to close the door, and then, like, me be open in a crack after you've latched the deadbolt or something. I don't know. The chain, yeah. The I, chain, I yeah. have a, uh, a, a one uh, exception. Yes. If you're watching House of Cards uh-huh. and a southern Kevin Spacey appears at your door, I would let him in. And then he would throw me in front of a train. Spoiler alert, I haven't seen House of Cards, but I know that happens for some reason. It's exciting. Yeah. Anyway. So... <laughs> so... So... Okay, I'm collecting my thoughts here for a second. I've been drinking champagne. So if you take this book for what it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. you think it's just this very, like, wonderful, happy, cheerful book about a woman learning how to enjoy Christmas with the help of this handsome man. 
But if you, like, if you push that back a little bit. And read it for what it might look like. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really, really terrifying book Mm. about a man who manipulates a lonely woman at Christmas time into letting him into her life and her home and sort of taking over and really like controlling her life and controlling what she does he keeps her out of contact with her friends like it's a very creepy emotionally abusive story if you just if you refuse to believe his lie that he tells her so when he when she opens the door and she's very confused mm-hmm. because there's a character from the TV on her doorstep, she slams the door shut. And what does he do but he disappears out of thin air and rematerializes in her living room. I have a question. First of all, wow this. Yeah. Uh, secondly, is this book told from her perspective or his? Um, it's mostly told from her perspective. Aww. There are occasionally times when it, like, says things from his perspective, but it's always third person never first. What about hers? Is that third person? No, it's always third person. It mostly focuses on her. Okay. Sometimes it focuses on him. So, do you ever get confirmation through the narration that what he is saying is true? Um, so his story is that he is, he never explains what he is, if he's an angel, if he's a spirit. He never explains what he is. But he does explain that he is has been sent from headquarters by his supervisors. All capital letters here. What, all um, capital letters? No, all capital Supervisors! Like, capitalized here. Um, and that he has been sent to help Lindsay to something about like recovering her Christmas spirit or learn how to enjoy Christmas again, something like that. And so we do see several occasions when Fred is back at headquarters or is speaking to his supervisors about Uh, his mission here. mm. But I still think the whole thing is creepy as hell. So he materializes in her (laughs) living room. You are basically imagining yourself as a friend of Lindsay's. Yeah, I... a reader of Lindsay's. No, I... if a friend of mine was like, look at this amazing thing that happened, like, I would call the police and then take her to my apartment and make her stay there and keep her safe mm. so this psychopath couldn't get to her because Fred. it's weird. And his Fred name is, is not the, Fred. What well, the hell? Fred is not a name for a psychopath. Okay, but apparently his name, he apparently he doesn't have a real name. Um, She names him Fred because when... He appears there. She's like, you're Fred. You're the character from the TV show that I was just watching. Thank God and she's so watching that, a TV show. And so that becomes his name because he doesn't really have a name. So not only is it creepy and abusive from him to her, but also a little bit from her to him because he doesn't have an identity until she comes around. That's well, he, weird. Does he literally exist at all before her? No. If you buy into the Christmas magic, which I don't. I don't buy into the Christmas magic. That's why Christmas is your least favorite holiday. No, Christmas is my very favorite holiday, and I buy into the spirit of Christmas and the the happiness about it, but I don't buy into a literal fake person materializing into my living room. So what you're saying is there's a theme 
for this episode, and uh-huh. it's things we believe but don't really go along with. Yeah. Look at that. Absolutely. We did that on accident. Yeah, we did. High five. Woo! So, the through the whole, I would say probably first third to half of this book, you hear Lindsay's sort of inner monologue, and she's sort of trying to convince herself, like, in the back of her mind, there's this really nagging feeling that this guy is bad news, that she needs to get him out, that bad things are going to happen, that this isn't normal, it isn't good, but she just sort of lets him convince her that it's okay. Mm, yes. And that makes me so uncomfortable, like, as a woman. What? I don't understand it at all. Right? (laughs) And so, like, she just keeps ignoring this feeling in the back of her mind. And the whole time I was reading it, I just wanted to yell at her, like, Girl, trust your gut. What are you doing? (laughs) And so, basically suck up to her coworkers and her boss. So he gets to know them. He's really charming. What are you laughing at? A dad joke. What's, what's your dad joke? I guess it, that uh, during the Christmas season, he feels like hanging stockings. That's like too real to be funny. Oh. So real. Like, it's kind of funny, but it's also too real. Just pay attention to the connection. That's yeah. the reality. Okay. So like Larry Holmcomb. He's like charming, and he gets to know her boss and her coworkers, and everyone is telling her like oh who's your boyfriend like who's this guy that you brought he seems really wonderful and so it makes her second guess herself like oh well if everyone that i'm talking to if all of my coworkers think that he's a good guy then he must be not taking into account the fact that he showed up uninvited and is literally stalking her no you know psychopaths people can always point them out as uh, uncharismatic yeah not know how to act in public fiends that they are yeah so i don't know so like so these people are drinking it's christmas time and there's this very charming man who is trying to charm them like he should clearly listen to them and not like listen to her own gut about the man that broke into her house she slammed the door in his face and he somehow appeared in her living room literally broke into her living room um, but so there was, there's one quote in particular that I wrote down. So she's thinking to herself, she had a man standing in front of her with a full size fragrant tree and the most beguiling smile she'd ever seen. Someone who'd shown her nothing but warmth, even if he did have trouble taking no for an answer. For the first time, she admitted to herself that she wasn't so sure she wanted him to go away. So at this point, he has shown up back at her house. She has a little, like, fake Christmas tree in her living room, and he has brought her a very large, real Christmas tree. And so, like, your like, you're gut, your intuition, that nagging voice in the back of your mind has been telling you this whole time, like, this guy is bad news. Keep him away. Don't let him convince you that this is fine. And then he shows up with a Christmas tree, and you're like, all right, come into my living room. Come into my life. This is totally fine. Like, it creeps me out. You know that when you buy a woman presents, she has to trust you. I mean, that's probably what this guy was thinking. And it worked, because Lindsay, girl, what are you doing? Ugh. Get it together. Like, it's, it's all written that it's supposed to be, like, very cute and romantic. Look at all these things that he's doing for her. But the whole time, it just kept creeping me out. It was weird. And the thing I think that bothered me the most is this running theme of her Christmas cards. So, like, basically, the, the 
back plot of the story is that subtext yes the subtext in the story is that Lindsay had a bad experience with christmas about 10 years ago um her high school boyfriend proposed to her at christmas time and he proposed to her at a christmas party in front of a whole bunch of people and so she felt pressured to say yes and didn't actually want to she was like 19 years old at the time she was very scared didn't know if it was what she wanted and so she said yes and then about a week later at a new year's eve party at his he proposed again no she took off the engagement ring she left it on his bedside table and she disappeared and she never talked to him again because she was young she didn't know how to handle it she didn't want to be engaged but she didn't know how to tell him that and so she just freaked out and she's been feeling like guilty and awful about it ever since but she doesn't know how to talk to him to like put the whole situation to rest like she recognizes that what she did was super shitty but she was 19 and didn't know what else to do and like i know like it sucks but like As a, I, okay you can't see my face i am making a supremely good face yeah like, and she like she owns it the whole time she's like this is the worst thing that i've ever done i've spent my whole life wishing i could undo it and it's ruined Christmas for me. Like, I can't enjoy Christmas time because all I think of is this thing that happened and so I can't put it to rest. So text him or whatever, you dingus. Like, come on, dog. As a man who has been ghosted, it sucks to be ghosted. So I, like, dog, I don't want to marry you. The day after the engagement, you, like, yell at him. He was in the wrong. Yell at him. But she was... Um, I can't handle not communication. She, I yes, can't do it. No, I know, I know. And she doesn't, like, make excuses for it. She was just like, I was young and dumb, and I have regretted this for years. But so that is the reason why she has a really hard time, like, enjoying Christmas time, which always used to be her favorite Plus, she's season. Jewish. No. Oh. But so... One of the, like, running themes underneath this story is that she can't convince herself to write her Christmas cards. She tries every year to write cards. She's really bad at keeping up with old friends and stuff like that. And so she tries every year to write these really nice personal Christmas cards. And this whole year, she's just been putting them off, putting them off. And so when Fred comes around, he is trying, he's doing everything he can to keep her from writing these Christmas cards. And, again, if you buy into the magic and the story of who Fred is, it's because she should be living in the moment and enjoying the present. Wait, 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 wait. So, even if you buy into the moment, it's a good thing that she's not writing Christmas? Isn't Christmas for, like, friends and family and sharing? And, and Yup. And so, even though, like, the dude who quite literally in this book is Christmas is like don't write cards to your friends. Yep. Friends Christmas with friends is awful. This is like textbook emotional abuse. This is the the first layer of deciphering no. oh. in abusive relationship is if one party is preventing the other from communicating with their friends and family. Like this is what abusive people do is they like try to seclude the person that they're with and they keep them from other people other people that care about them and love them and want what's best for them because they don't want those other people to see what's going on and try to convince the person that this is actually a bad thing 
So that is one of like the very creepiest things to me about this book is that multiple times throughout the book, like probably six or seven times, they bring up this theme of how he's trying to convince her. Like, that is creepy. It's not cute. It's not funny. It's not Christmas magic. It's weird. No kidding, because like, it should be backwards. Even yeah. if it was Christmas magic, it should be the opposite mm-hmm. way. Uh-huh. I think what he, sh- like, if it was, if he was the embodiment of Christmas, he should have been convincing like, her, like, her on the oh, yeah. how about instead of Christmas cards, you call them on the phone. Wouldn't that be magical? Or write the Christmas cards, get them all done, your family will be so excited. Like, that's what he should have been doing, encouraging her to reconnect like with friends and family. to a party. Yeah. Not... Oh, just don't communicate with them ever again. So that was but the thing I think that... doing it is great, right? They don't do it. I know. There's no sex in this book. At this point, they haven't even kissed yet. Uh. Um, so at the very end of the book, so spoiler alert, they went up getting engaged. <laughs> um, there's like... Wait, a... wait, wait, wait. Christmas. The whole thing about Christmas engagement. Yeah. So not only... <laughs> Let's dig into this. Not only does she have a Christmas engagement in her past that she's well, been fixating on for yeah, years. Put that in quotes. So her whole thing when she's when she's thinking about and talking about her previous engagement is that, you know, her her ex fiance proposed at Christmas time. He proposed in front of a bunch of other people. And she got caught up in the moment. She got caught up in the spirit of the holiday. I'm doing air quotes in case you Thank can't you for tell. Directing that towards um, the microphone. <laughs> waka, and waka, waka. she felt obligated to accept the proposal when she didn't want to. So not only was there that circumstance, but throughout the book, her her close friend from work, so one of her coworkers that Stephanie. she's very close with, uh, I can't remember what this is girl's name Stephanie? is. Jean. Jean. It's oh, close. So, Jean gets proposed to by a man. He proposes at a Christmas party. She gets really caught up in the moment. She feels like she has to say yes. And then she's miserable. So, about ten days after Christmas, she winds up, you know, giving the ring back, negating the proposal, breaking off the engagement, whatever. Does she so it's tell him? Literally, yes, she tells him. Okay. It's literally the same thing that happened to Lindsay that's happening again right now, and Lindsay is so uncomfortable for her friend. Like she's freaking out for her friend. She's really upset. She feels like the friend isn't really happy, that she's not excited about the engagement, that she doesn't want to be marrying this person. Uh-huh. And she's so upset about it. Yeah. And so after not only Lindsay's own past experiences, yeah. but the experience of her friend in the current moment, uh-huh. we're supposed to be excited that she gets a holiday proposal in public by a person that she barely knows, who's been stressing the importance of the magic of Christmas for the last 10 days that they've known each other. Blah. We're supposed to be excited that she's marrying this person? Well, really? The thing is, the, 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 the worst thing is, like, I can take this girl being mad, like, feeling really awful about the first Christmas proposal because Christmas proposals are bad. Group proposals are bad because yeah. then they're proposed, they're saying yes to the rest of the group and not to you. Yeah. But in a, like, a bad fiction world, it would show at least some character arc, I suppose, to go from, like, group proposal saying yes is bad to 
group proposal saying yes is good from the beginning to the end of the novel. I, that makes bad book sense. Mm-hmm. But the fact that on the way to bad, or group proposal is bad to group proposal is yes is also a detour toward group proposal is bad really reinforces that group proposal is bad and also i just want to stress the fact that they have known each other for 10 days that's chance the rapper's best mixtape 10 days yeah but that was talking about his 10 day suspension not 10 days of knowing the person you are pledging to spend the rest of your life with Mm. insanity even better than that so Okay, let me let me continue my notes. It's been like two weeks since I finished. Yeah, sorry, because we went on a honeymoon. Because ah! Mick didn't propose at Christmas time in front of a huge group of people. I proposed in front of two people, one of which who was hidden and taking pictures. And the other of whom was Nick. No, the other of whom was you. Oh, the other of whom was me. I guess three people then. Me, her, and a person taking pictures. Exactly. Thanks, Bridget. Uh... You don't listen to this, but thanks. This is another super, super creepy thing. It's all about how Lindsay quits her job, mm. which she likes. It's a job that she likes. She really loves her coworkers. She has a lot of good friends at work. She quits this job and opens up a bakery, which she has previously had no interest in any oh sort of God. thing like that. She opens up a bakery with Fred. And then the final line is that she never writes Christmas cards again. So basically... She dies. Epilogue. Pretty much. Because the epilogue is basically just confirmation of all of the creepy (laughs) things that we've talked about so far. So it's confirmation that she marries this dude and then just becomes disconnected from all of her friends and family. It's just the two of them. No coworkers. No Christmas cards, nothing. She's totally isolated with this guy doing a thing that she wasn't interested in before he came along. And supposedly they live happily ever after. Oh my god, dude. I gotta tell you, at the beginning of this book review, I was like, okay, fan theories are fun, but to base an entire book review on a fan theory, like your theory that, well, fan, I'll put in quotes, but theory that he's not actually an angel... That's a little, and then he just kept going, and I kept going, oh my gosh, what if it's real? I think it's real. I don't think, like, if if, if we really, like, dig into it, but the my epilogue. theory is that he is not an angel, he's just a creepy stalker man, and he wins. Like, no, no, this no, is a really... Her. I mean, yeah. The epilogue is really the, the thing that made me finally, like, go, oh my gosh, she's yeah. right. The she never wrote a uh, never wrote a Christmas card again. That's a Stephen King line. She dies in the next chapter, but uh, Suzanne or Sierra Donovan just didn't write that next chapter. What if Sierra Donovan meant this book to be like a terse thriller? Yeah, and then her publisher's like, "Nah, dog, you got to make it romantic. It's about Christmas." Yeah, that's what I think. So he killed her because he's this psychopath and that's how the book ends and that's how the book ends she's dead by her apparently lover's hand who she never loves like they never do it she thinks that she loves him but that's because do you see the wedding he's um no you don't see the wedding Hmm. you don't really see any no Hmm. there's no sex i'm sorry there's no sex in the whole book it's all it's the only thing that makes sex books good is the sex and then there wasn't any sex no it's terrible 
the whole like it's just it's a possessive creepy stalker man takes advantage of a lonely woman at christmas time which is a very vulnerable time of year for lonely people and he makes her believe that a christmas carol and it's a wonderful life are all true and that they're happening to her and then he gets her alone and isolated in an emotionally abusive relationship and then he kills her that's what happens in this book i have one final question is she beautiful but doesn't know it yes knew it always and every time they're always beautiful but they don't know it anyway uh that will do it for this week's edition of bibliovile this week's god like we do one of these every week this short time period edition of bibliovile this dot 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 edition we'll edit it down this edition of bibliovile uh so once again we had the post honeymoon post wedding hooray uh edition of ufo I'm sorry, The Presents and UFOs by Larry Holcomb, and then No Christmas Like the President by Sierra Donovan, both of which uh, involved the theory in which we believe in this overarching thing, but not necessarily the thing you wrote about, because you either wrote about stalkers or lizard people. Uh, So, are there any final thoughts, Sue? Whether it be champagne tastes good, I feel dizzy... I just am, I'm just so fired up about this book. Yeah, March on the Streets. No more March Christmas. March on the Streets. No more Christmas. That's what Sue says. Yep. Susan Johnson. I'm done. Dickinson. Susan Dickinson. Susan Woo! Dickinson. No more Christmas like the present. Uh, my name is Mick Dickinson. You can find me on Twitter if that is your thing. If you don't already follow me at, which by the way, why do we still say the at? We all know Twitter handles start with that. At Dickima, which is D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. You can find Susan at Susan J. She has yet to change her name to Susan D. That is an S with three U's. Right? Yeah. A-N-J on Twitter. Uh, I'm the funny one this time because I'm not going to let her interrupt. I'm the funny one. I had a nice string of images that got me good responses as well as dad jokes. Because that's what I do best. Uh, so you can follow us there on Twitter. Uh, I believe we had to buy SoundCloud in order to put this episode out. So you are welcome to those of you who are listening. Because we paid like two bucks a month for this. Uh, for our hobby. Uh, finally, our intro music is a band that I forgot to look up. But their album that we took this from is Elixir of the Night. So if you research Elixir of the Night, you will find them. Rampant, I believe, is... Uh, no, I am sorry. Babe of the Night by the band Rampant off of the album Elixir. Oh. Wowzers. <laughs> Look at that. You really got all of that. Yeah, I, I combined all of those things. That is our title music. Uh, that is how it goes, and that is what, it, what is going to close us out. Finally, one last thought from Susan Johnson off the cuff. Go. Um, moving is terrible. Whatever you do, you should stay where you are. Stay where you are. Drink the alcohol anyway. That is all the time we have until we fall asleep tonight. Good night, Matt. I love you. Charles, I hate the book that you gave us. Bye. Bye, y'all.